she's on the inside. She got the scoop on the ones to watch, on the ones that's hot. No one can do it quite like Caroline. Caroline. No one can do it quite like Caroline. It's time for Caroline. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Hyper Caroline Hobby. I am your host, Caroline Hobby. I know music, I know people, and I know the questions you want to ask. So let's get hyper. Heads up, these are adults having adult conversations, so there could be adult content. I'm so excited to welcome Gary Burr and Georgia Middleman to the show today. They are a freaking power couple in country music when it comes to songwriting. They've written so many number one hits between the two of them. Gary's in the freaking Country Music Songwriters Hall of Fame, plays in Ringo Starr's band, as well as Carol King's. Georgia's written songs for Keith Urban. They're both in a trio with Kenny Loggins, and they are two of my most favorite people ever. They're going to make you laugh so hard, and their stories are going to blow your mind. Y'all give it up for Gary and Georgia. Hi. <laughs> Hello. I'm here with Georgia Middleman and Gary Burr. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hello. How's it going, you guys? Good. How about you? It's fabulous. This rainy. Is fabulous. We haven't seen you. I know in a it's while. a rainy it's so day. Fabulous to see you. I know. I used to write songs with you guys. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. A lot for like a decade. A lot. That's right. Yeah. A lot of great songs. Are you still writing? Nope. Gave okay. it all up. All right. Yeah. So I told Gary, you know, it's not my true calling. Ten years of try trying it, and now on to interviewing. There this you go. Is it. This, this is, is it. it. <laughs> So, you guys are kind of an interesting combination because, first off, you're both hit songwriters, mm-hmm. both super sexy. Well, <laughs> I mean, well, if you're going down that list. Stay the obvious. <laughs> yeah, right. And you guys are married. We are. To each other. To each other. At that. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. Exactly. So, there's a lot that I want to talk about. I want to break you guys down individually first. Okay. And then I want to talk about the combo meal. Okay. All right. Okay. Break me down. Okay. So be the first woman. Hey. (laughs) Break me down. Hey. Okay. Okay. So Gary, you're originally from Connecticut. I am. And you were an electrician. I was. (laughs) My dad was an electrician, so I just I assumed I was going to you know just take over the family business when I got old enough you know to to climb a six foot ladder, but it didn't work out. So did you know you loved writing songs? I didn't know I loved writing songs, but I loved the idea of the music business because that was just an awesome time that was like late 60s, early 70s. It was just a great time for the music business. And I just knew I wanted to do something in the music business. And I didn't want to just, you know, run an electrical company in Connecticut. And I didn't care what it was, but that was, you know, that was the door that opened. And I would have been happy for any door that opened into that. Didn't building. you do Woodstock? I didn't do it, but weren't uh, you there? I was at Woodstock. Oh, I wanted to ask you about this because Woodstock changed your life. Yeah, it kind of really, really did. I, I know that. I know that out of all the people that were there, tons of people, you know, say that it changed their life in a in a spiritual way. But it really was the fork in the road for me. Well, didn't you? Say, I wrote a quote that you said that you went to Woodstock and girls were clinging to the musicians like dryer sheets. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like something stupid. And you said, that's what I need to do. That's the life for me. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. If if I could develop that sort of static cling. (laughs) You'll take it? Yeah, I'll take it. Okay, so you're in Connecticut. You go to Woodstock. Then you have, like, okay, we're all over the place. Woodstock, how old were you when you went there? 17. 
and you wanted to be the dryer sheets. You wanted yeah. the dryer sheets on yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, I did. Okay. Desperately. Desperately. Yeah. Then you start deciding to play a sport, and you get in a serious injury. Yeah, you know what? I because because I knew I wasn't going to work for my dad. I wanted my dad to be proud of me, so I tried any sport that I was even the least bit equipped to do, and there weren't any. So <laughs> the, the the sport that seemed to involve the most aimlessly running around in circles seemed to be soccer. Okay. So I That's joined the soccer sport. team. Uh, not the way I did it. it <laughs> literally, it How was just it? running around in circles, and then periodically you bend over and you pant real hard so the coach thinks he's really giving it his all. Okay. <laughs> okay. And, until, and the one time I actually tried to do something constructive for the team, I got my leg broken. Okay, so you broke your leg, yes, and sir. now you're in a full body cast? Yeah, yeah. It's like Why a, full a, body? Because I broke the leg right at the top of the knee. Ugh. So if they didn't immobilize me from the hip down, then my leg was going to basically make the letter L at the bottom. Ugh. So yeah, it was really gross. It was so, when it broke, the noise was so loud that the guys on the team ran off the field because they thought the ref had shot a gun. Oh! Yeah, oh. yeah. Everyone... Everyone makes that face when I tell oh, them. <laughs> I'm immune to it, but at this point, but but, but you're yeah. probably out like a light. No? Oh, I was not out like a light for about six more hours <laughs> you until were... somebody shot me up with light out juice. You were <laughs> conscious during this. Oh, I was conscious. It actually didn't. If I didn't move, um, it actually didn't hurt that bad. So I was oh. laying in a gurney at a hospital for like four hours. But this is a big moment in your life because when you're in this full body cast is when you decided to really become great at guitar. Yeah, there so was So it's a blessing in disguise. Yeah, it was. It, it really was. I, I, there was there was nothing to do. I had tutors come to pretend to teach me things <laughs> and basically it was, you know, listening to music and playing, you know, my brother's guitar and uh, when we had come home from Woodstock, my buddy and I had decided to start a band. And this was where I actually got to the point where I said, you know, I could do that because I wasn't much of a guitar player before then. But by the time the cast came off, I was uh, I was good enough to start, you know, our first band. How long was the cast on? You know, I don't remember. All these years later, I feel like it was on for months, but I, it was probably, you know, what eight weeks, maybe something like that. Okay. And you most of my senior, most of the beginning of my senior year, so. Remember back to your senior year in high school and think what it would have been like to just hear about everything that's going on and you're home in a really stinky room. FOMO. Yeah, it would be awful. <laughs> totally. I have no idea what the, you kids mean by that. I don't know what that means. Fear of missing out. Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you guys were like, yes. We're like, it oh, was yeah. Huge. It was, it was <laughs> lots of FOMO. Yeah, that was very sad. Very sad. Okay, but this is crazy because if that wouldn't have happened, you wouldn't learn guitar. Something I think is really interesting, you must be a visualizer and you must believe in like magic and the secret because you listened to three records over and over again while you were like holed up. And the first one was pure, the Pure Prairie League album. Second one was Carol King's Tapestry, and the third one was Abbey Road. Now, tell me why that's amazing. All three of those albums, because they were the three records that I taught myself how to play guitar to. And when I grew up and became a professional musician, I was the lead singer of Pure Prairie League. I toured the world playing with Carol King, and I wrote like three albums with Ringo. So, out of those three albums, those are the three that that ended up being 
Your career. You know, being my career in a, in, a, in a tiny nutshell. Do you think you drew it to yourself? Because um, you loved it so much? I don't know. I'm not a b- big believer in that kind of a thing. <laughs> but, it, you know, but there has to be some kind of explanation for something That's like that. That's very odd. You know? The I mean, three albums what that I probably, shaped you. Yeah. What I probably have done, I probably blocked out the Sound of Music album that I had <laughs> and the Carpenter's Greatest Hits album. That, I blocked all that out and I've reduced it down to those three because it makes... But, but literally, seriously, those were the three records that I learned to. When I read that, I honestly couldn't believe it because those are no small feats. And uh, Vince Gill, he was the one who was the lead singer of Pure Prairie League before you. Yeah, I took his place. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's kind of crazy because he and I got inducted into the Songwriter Hall of Fame in the same year. And uh, I'll get that. Hold on. <laughs> hello? Hey, hello. Is that oh, you? No. Uh, oh, my phone's broken. It literally is broken. Okay, so that was, is crazy. You're in the Songwriter's Hall of Fame, too. Yeah, yeah. I am. That's, that, is, that is crazy. <laughs> 14 you know? number ones you wrote. Yep. Uh, what else did I read? You have 14 number ones. You have, is it 32 top 40s, 24 top 10s? That's yeah. a lot of songs. That's so you and lo- Vince got inducted at the same time to the Country Music Hall of Fame? Yeah, that was a nice coincidence too, you know? And and, and uh, that's something I'm really, really proud of. I just, I, I, I didn't think I was going to end up being a songwriter, but, you know, to be acknowledged like that, it's pretty great. So your first song that you ever wrote became a hit for Juice Newton, right? Is that how you got to Nashville? Yes. I wrote a song in my backyard, and I had some people in New York that were helping me, and they played it for a guy here in Nashville. And uh, they recorded it, and and that's what made me stop being an electrician. And I just, you know, I I, I started to make enough money to be a professional songwriter, and I would just stay home, raising a couple of kids, writing songs at night, in Connecticut? In Connecticut. You would just write them and send them off to Nashville yeah. and they just and I get actually cut? had like four hits before I, you know, just living in Connecticut, sending them through the mail. Which hits were those? Uh, I had I had the, the Love's Band. That's I Juice had, That's My Job, Conway Twitty. I had Burn Like a Rocket, Billy Joe Royal, Make My Life With You, Oak Ridge Boys. Those were all while I still lived in Connecticut. So you're like, oh my gosh, this is easy. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, my first song was a pop hit. My second song was a number one uh, country hit. Conway Those were 20? like the first two songs I've ever recorded. And that's when I kind of said, Why am I being an know, electrician? Who does, who do, why doesn't everybody do this? Like, this is like no brainer. Yeah. And so, um, but you, you know, just were really good and you didn't maybe realize how great you were. Well, at that but time. no, and then it stopped and it went a couple of years and then, you know, and, and then you get it, you think you're never going to get another song on the radio and then you get another one. And, you know, it, it just, uh, it was a lucky streak that, that, threw me into it at like 100 miles an hour. And then it calmed down and, and it became the job that it stayed for 20-something years. So how'd you get to Nashville? You got the four hits. Yeah. In Connecticut. In a real traditional way, I would come down, the people in Nashville that were listening to my songs and cutting them basically said to me, you know, you should come down and write with other people. You know, that's the weird thing. I, I wrote all by myself, but... So when, those were all by yourself. Yeah. So cuts. when you come to Nashville, that's a lot of dough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was really. Yeah. That was great. You probably had no publishing deal either, huh? Uh, I had a publishing deal with those guys that were helping. Me. Okay. But, um, but especially back in the day, you were probably making serious cash. That's yeah, awesome. But, yeah, but and and there was you know there seemed to be a lot more radio stations back then too. Yeah. So uh, 
I started to come down like once every couple of months to Nashville, and then it was once a month, and then it was two weeks out of the month, and that was when I finally said, uh, you know, uh, it's it's time to make a move. And we initially thought about moving the whole family down here, but you know things were shaky, and it ended up where it was the logical place for you know my wife and I to. We ended up getting divorced, and I moved down here and. And uh, she stayed up in Connecticut. Okay, and Georgia, you can chime in on this. The Nashville songwriter community, it's like unlike anything else. There's yeah. two rows in Nashville, 16th and 17th Street. And basically, like, people go and they write songs, and it's a job. Yeah. That's a crazy profession. Yeah. And nowhere else in the world do they do that. And it's like a real job. Of that. Yeah. yeah, maybe all the way back in, like, the Brill Building back in New York when it was sort mm -hmm. of a songwriting, a couple of buildings that were songwriting factories. And this is that sort of a deal just spread out over a whole bunch of smaller buildings. Can you guys believe it's your career and your profession to wake up and write something? Oh my gosh, my phone is broken. <laughs> okay. My ringer, I have this Mophie and it it doesn't turn off. Mophie, what's that? It's an extra FOMO, charge. Mophie. FOMO and Mophie. <laughs> it doesn't, it charges your phone, but mine's broken, so now my phone never turns oh, on silent. No. Oh no, that's <laughs> terrible. Yeah. Um what were you saying? No, oh, the does, music community Can you believe, thing. Can you believe no. that this is our career? But the weird thing is, is how easy it was for you to mail songs back and forth. When I was 10 years old, we came, my dad brought me and my little sister to Nashville. You wrote your first song at 10. I did. Wait, wait, have it. It's called, what did you call it? God, this girl's done her homework. I did my homework because I thought it was the cutest thing ever. You wrote a song called... There's a rainbow in everybody's heart? <laughs> yes. Georgia, are you pure? You I believe that. <laughs> There's a rainbow in everyone's heart. You wrote that at 10 years old. Yeah, because I didn't know any better. <laughs> now you've seen the rain clouds? Yeah. <laughs> and when we came here when I was 10 years old, all the buildings, all the publishing houses were, they were houses. Like cute little two-story houses or one-story um, cottages. And I felt like you could just knock on the door and they let you in. I'm like, what a cool place. And sometimes you have to think it's that easy to get your first step, you know, to yes. take your first step. And then you find out it's almost impossible. <laughs> but at least you take that step and you knock on that door and then you start finding you get out. There. It's not so easy. But yeah, little by little you get there if you're if it's meant to be like that. And Georgia, we got to come back to you, but you also moved to New York and L.A. to do acting and music. I got to hear your story. Right. Okay, we're going to wrap up, Gary. Oh. <laughs> Not yet. But so tell me what it was like. Well, we're only up to when I'm like 20. I know. You have so much more. I know. Okay. It's, a, it's a very long legacy. <laughs> I want to throw out some of your number ones. I don't know what these were on the chart, but you had Try to Think About Elvis or Patty Loveless, Can't Be Really Gone, Tim McGraw, To Be Loved by You, Why Nona, Too Busy Being in Love, Doug Stone, That's My Job, Conway Twitty, Watch Me, Lori Morgan, Love Lori Morgan. In a week or two, Diamond Rio, Love It. That was one of my favorites. What mattered most? Ty Herndon, On the Side of Angels, Nothing About Love Makes Sense, Leanna Rhymes, Nobody Wants to Be Lonely, Christina Aguilera, Ricky Martin. These are just a smidgen of some of the songs a you've smattering. written. A smattering. A smattering. If you will. Yeah. We will. Okay. What was the biggest song you've had? You know what? Biggest is, is a, you know, uh, you can, you can, you know, I suddenly lost Spit it out. all the ability to think. <laughs> Depends on what you mean by the biggest. The most successful was probably the very first one because it was a pop hit. So that made a lot Love's of Love's went a little bit money. hard on me. Right, Love's went a little bit hard on me. The most impactful song I ever had was probably the Conway Twitty song that I wrote about my dad passing away because That's they still play that every 
Father's Day, oh, and wow. I still get tons of you know letters and emails from people that hear it around Father's Day, and it moves them. Um, you know, as far as the most successful country song, it was probably what mattered most, the Ty Herndon song, oh. because people still people people teach that song in writer classes, like up at Berkeley and places like that. Really, you know, so um, you know, there's different criteria for what makes it biggest, but uh, you know, I, I've had more than my share of ones that that were pivotal. How do you guys write? What? How do you write a song? Do you write what's coming to you? Do you try to fit a formula? Do you try to write for someone in particular? What has been your most successful songs? Where have they come from? That's a really good question. Um, Don't suck up to her. <laughs> it's just a question. I like I, I like to read and I, I, I pull words out of books that strike me as, as interesting. The way words get put together. Um, I... I think you like to do this too. You like to start with a title a lot of times. Uh, for me, I mean, there was that whole analogy about Michelangelo and David, the statue. He didn't carve David. He chipped away at the stone, and oh. then there he was. I feel like a, a good song idea for me, if I can see it formed before it's written, that's what I want to attack. Okay, so you have like the have idea. An idea of how it could look, and then I start attacking it. If I can't see it, it's really hard for me to You need a vision. It. I do. Because that kind of, that unfolds, the structure of it kind of unfolds. And sometimes, I mean, I also love jamming on music and having the music tell me what the lyrics should say. Okay. So I like to work backwards that way, too. How do you do it? Yeah, I remember when I first came to town uh, talking to the, the, the great Harlan Howard, the great yeah, the, songwriter. The dean of country songwriters. And, you know, his philosophy was, if you don't have that great idea, then don't even bother sitting down. Go have lunch. Go have a drink. Really? But you need to have that great idea where somebody sits down and goes, I want to write a song about boom. And you can express it in like one sentence and say, this is what I want to write about. He says, those are the songs that not only mean something, but they're the easiest to write because you have a definitive point of view and you have a story that you're going to tell. If you just are writing a, you know, a general, a, a general I love you song or a general this or that, yeah. said it's really, really hard. And he said, you know, and, and he'll spend the first half hour of the day kicking around the ideas. And if and if he didn't hear the, the idea, idea. Uh -huh. okay. it was off to uh, lunch. Yeah, off to lunch. <laughs> so can you go into a room with no idea but kick mm -hmm. around ideas and one uh -huh. come? Sure. Like, I mean, I'm, I like to throw out, my favorite part of a writing day is throwing out ideas and seeing what resonates with me and the co-writer. If nothing is resonating, then I like to just talk about stuff and just see if something just happens. Especially yeah. if you're writing with an artist. Right. You want to write a song that relates to whatever they're going through in their life. Because you want so, them to want to yeah. sing it. Yeah, you know, and, and it's cathartic and they want to get something out uh, in a song. Sometimes they don't know how to do it, but you might hear something they say and go, that's the title or that's the idea. Yeah, yeah, so that's really good. But when you're writing with another writer, you just kick around ideas and sometimes it's just wordplay. And a lot of times it's the same thing. You're talking and then suddenly you're saying, you know, somebody says something and you go. That's it. Yeah. That would make a song. That's a title and right there. When you, you said this once, but about when you pitch movie ideas, not you personally, but if, if a screenwriter is going to pitch to a producer, they have to say in one line what this movie is about. And if you can't say that about your song, okay, then you, it's kind of hard to know what the song is. It's, it'd be nice if you can bring it down to one big idea 
and it looks like this, and then you can write it. Yeah, we were really writing with somebody the other day, and the song didn't really, it was sort of about a lot of things. And it was really hard to finish because we didn't have any real clear target we were aiming for. You know, so smirky uh, water. When yeah. a lot of when a lot of lines will get you where you want to go, that's a lot harder than than finding the one great one that gets you there. Okay, it's a very yeah. interesting synopsis. Yeah. Okay, so tell me how you actually you met. Buck in your hair. Oh, Bucky. <laughs> oh, lovely. <laughs> Bucky's a dog, not oh, a man. Gonna let them wonder what Bucky was. Gary's the only man in George's hair. So we <laughs> think. <Betty> knows. <laughs> so we know about What? <laughs> and the truth comes out. <laughs> so how did you link up with Carol King and Ringo Starr? How did that happen? I know you visualize it because you listen to their albums <laughs> all the time, but how did it actually happen? You know, when when... When you get on a streak the way I did. Because you were on a big streak a in the big 90s, streak right? in the 90s. It was crazy. And, like and one after the other after when, the other. Yeah, literally. I mean, it was like you'd, I write a song on Monday and, and I turn it in at the end of the day. And by Wednesday, they would tell me that somebody was cutting it. And by Friday, they would say, oh, it's going to be the next single. Wait, and was it was, that's like, how fast it, it seemed like Nashville worked back then. Did you just get used to this? Uh, <laughs> you know, kind of. You know, kind of. I mean, I, I I like to think because if this all happened to me later, I mean, I wasn't in my 20s. I was in my 30s and 40s. So I wasn't delusional. I mean, there was a part of me that knew that it wasn't going to always go like that. But there was, you know, the other part of me that was saying, wouldn't it be nice if it did? <laughs> yeah. But the point is, when you have that kind of a streak, you get tons of opportunities. Everybody wants you to go somewhere and write with these people, write with these people. So, you know, in, in one case, um, really, I got to go to a, a, a writing retreat a bunch of years in a row in the middle of France at this castle. Oh. And they still have it. They still have it wow. every year. It was owned by Miles Copeland, who managed the police. Okay. Um, and, you know, we go over there, and, and there was everybody from, you know, famous, you know, Ted Nugent. Carol Cher. King, Cher, Bon Jovi, the all the way to down to young writers. There was sort of three levels. Young writers, big stars, and workmen, professional writers like us. Okay. And Georgia went to that castle. I went to that Amazing. castle. And when I went to that castle was when I met Carol. And a couple of years after we met, she put a tour together and called me up and asked me to do it with her. And you played guitar and sang? Are yeah, you... guitar, bass, and sang. Okay, because you play a lot of instruments. I, yeah, I play, I play a lot of instruments okay and a few instruments quite well. But also I met another guy there who turned out to be writing with Ringo, and so I got involved in that. And the next thing you know, I met so many people that opened huge opportunities for me to, to get to play with some amazing people. You know, you too. That's a, The castle Did was the castle really... lead you to great places? No. I mean, <laughs> the castle was great, but the, I, I made um, a couple of friends. I think I was more of a loner. I, I didn't have that same... You're a very outgoing guy, so you made a lot of friends. I was kind of to myself and a little shyer, so I didn't... The castle was a great experience, but it didn't lead me to... Ringo? 
Right. <laughs> but I met some great people that Maya Sharp, who I still love oh, and work great. with. She's wonderful. Kevin Savagar. Those are the two I keep in touch with. But um, it depends on who's there with you. I wasn't there when Gary was there. I went years after Gary had gone. Yeah. We Were you guys married yet? At the time. No. Y'all both just went to the castle separately. Oh, no. That was in the late 90s. Oh, yeah. We were not a couple at we all. It's kind of scandalous going to the castle. <laughs> yeah. It's a sexual euphemism. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Interesting. We're storming the moat. <laughs> That should be the name of this interview. Storming, Storming the boat. Okay, we got the title. We need it. You need to say there it. There it is. There it That's is. right. So now we can do the. Now whole, we can write it. Harley would it. be proud. <laughs> okay, so you met Carol and Ringo from then. And what did you do with Ringo? You wrote with him. You were on his albums. You toured with him. Um, first, uh, they just were putting a band together to promote a new album. So they asked me to be in that band. So you were in a band. So with I one was of the in Beatles. a band with one of the Beatles. It was are you dying? Yeah, kind of. You I mean, know? that's a huge deal. You were in a band with one yeah. of the Beatles. Every once in a while, he would do a, you know a drum thing that sounded just like the Beatles, and you know later he told me he goes, you know, I know I'm doing that because I like to see all your head spin around. You know, that's great. So he, he, he great guy. And then from that, we uh, we started writing together, and you know, I'd go over to England to his place, and we would write. So you go to his house, like four records. You go right? in his house. Yeah, we, yes. Did we you were, like see the there? In his house. Did you sleep in his bed? Like his guest bed? Mm, uh, no, his bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a big spooner. He is. He's a <laughs> yes. Yes, delicate hands. Were you trying to be cool or were you, yeah, were you able to be cool? I didn't. Uh, you know what? I just reeked cool. <laughs> but, like, in your mind, are you freaking out though? Like, I don't know if I could actually be cool in this situation and perform. Like, you have to write well, songs it's, and perform. Well, it is. You know, this kind of stuff happens to us. A lot is we get put into situations where we're working with people that we adore and that's killing us, and you can't act like it is. You got to act real nice. You know, you got to walk in and just like go. You belong there. Hey, how you doing? You know, uh, you know. Come on, shut up. We got to got to go to work. And inside, you just die and go. Oh my God! I just told the Beatle to shut up. You know. <laughs> Remember when you first met Ringo and you were in a rehearsal and you called him Ring? Oh yeah, we were on we were on stage and I and we just started and like you know. A few minutes into rehearsal, uh, the musical director said to me, "What are you What are you singing when you get to the bridge?" And I'm standing right next to Ringo, and I go, "Well, I'm in the in the chorus. I'm singing this part, but then when the bridge comes, uh, I'm doubling Ring." And it gets real quiet, and Ring walks up to Ringo walks up to the microphone and goes, "He's known me thirty minutes, and suddenly I'm Ring." And I, and I, and I died. I just thought I, I'm going to be handed a ticket, and oh. they're going to say. Go home. You called him Ring. Yeah, yeah. But uh, and he fell in love with you. Yeah, he fell in love, yeah. and now you're Big Spoon. Yeah, now we're Big Spooners. Yeah. Okay, so obviously we're. This is synopsis. I want to make sure I covered everything I want to. What has been? Oh, you were also Songwriter of the Year by ASCAP, Billboard, Nashville Songwriters Association. Like we said, you're inducted in the Country Music Hall of Fame. How many people are in that? That's not even a lot of people. That's serious company being yeah i don't know that'd be a really good question but to that's look like up. vince gills in that who else is in that that you know well, i mean you know um harlan howard harlan howard all the all the you know stephen foster you know all the yeah. way back to uh you know to yeah just amazing who inducted you don't celebrities like get invite you in or someone important um it used to be where you had to be inducted by someone that was in the hall of fame okay um so I was inducted by a, a, a Hall of Fame er? member. Do you know their name? 
Remember who inducted you? Why is it I can't? Is it Waylon? Did he yeah. do it? Yeah, Waylon Holyfield inducted me. Okay. Yep. That's amazing. It was amazing. So out of all of your colorful career, do you have a highlight? We're going to get to Blue Sky Riders, which is y'all's band that you're mm -hmm. in right now with Kenny Loggins. You know what? We just finished doing something that was an incredible highlight, uh, and that was working with the Nashville Ballet, and they choreographed, uh, th they had three writers, Georgia, Victoria Banks, and T.J. Harding. J.T. Harding. T.J. T.J. <laughs> Hooker. No, uh, J.T. Harding. J.T. Harding, and they choreographed their songs. And it was just, and, and it was three of Georgia's songs, and I was just a guitar player, but it was like such a highlight. It was this amazing, you know, tell them. What, so tell, tell me uh, about that, Georgia, because yeah, now I'd like amazing. to move on to you. <laughs> this is Georgia Middleman, enough of Gary Burr. <laughs> well, that's the weird thing, is that the opportunities are just when, they, when people combine different art forms, and this was, they called me and said, the Nashville Ballet wants to choreograph to some of your songs. Is out of the blue? Yes. How did they find because your songs? Because the Bluebird Cafe... It was an alliance between the Bluebird doing a collaboration with the ballet. And they went through different songs and a bunch of different writers at the Bluebird. And the ballet felt they picked the songs and picked the writers based on what they felt the dancers could do. So what like, songs what would be good did they stories. pick yours? They picked a song called I'm In. Which I want to talk to you about. That okay. was a huge song for Thank Keith you. Urban. Thank you. And also the Kinleys cut that. Yeah, they did. The twin they girls. Did. Yes. I remember that. You remember that cut? Yes. Years ago. Weren't they on the beach in like the water? I just remember the Kinleys. No, that was a different, that was a different song. I think but they were in a bar or in oh. a dark place. Not <laughs> a beach. <laughs> Not a beach. So, how did that song change your life? It changed in, in every way possible. Because um, I've been struggling my whole life as a singer-songwriter, trying to make enough money just to pay the rent and pay bills. And that song, when it came out on the radio, and and it, it, it was a big song for me, and I... I guess I could just kind of relax for a minute, not for long. <laughs> yeah, never for long. Never for long. But what it did was it gave me the ability to do things that I couldn't do before, like join this band with Gary, Blue Sky Riders. Like, saying, like say no occasionally. Yeah, yeah, because, um, yeah, that's the thing. And Kenny Loggins is Kenny Loggins. also in that yeah, band, yeah. Blue Sky Riders, which we yeah, have to talk about next. Definitely. And I don't know, it just, I, I was able to, to say yes to certain things that would take time where you're not getting paid for anything for a while and you're building it. Because it's a, a labor of love. And, and yeah. that lets you build really cool things that you just didn't have the time or money to do before. So that was really, it changed my life in a lot of ways. Because you were a Texas girl. Yep. And then you go to New York to be an actress. <laughs> well, I went to New York. I was an actress in high school. Okay. That's my dog. Bucky wants to be on, the, on the interview. <laughs> Hi, Buck. Hey. Um, and yeah, I, I, I was an acting major in college. Um, I went to New York University, but it was all because I was a chicken, can I say a bad word? Yeah! I was a chicken shit when it came to studying music, because I'm not good at math, and when I took music theory, I really wanted to be a singer-songwriter, but when I took music theory classes, I just, I couldn't do it. I well, just you don't have to. I guess found not. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that's why I focused on acting for a while, but once I was in acting, I suddenly understood performance better as a singer, oh. and it really helped me on stage. And I knew I wanted to be a singer-songwriter, but the acting tools really helped so me that was a really lot. helpful. It really was. And as a songwriter, you have three minutes to say your point and have everything support that one title. As an actor, you have a scene and the whole 
the way we studied it was what is your objective? What are you trying to accomplish? And do it. And anything else is frivolous, just like songwriting. Okay. So it's really about focusing on something and driving that point home. And that's I use those skills as a songwriter. So that was not that in was vain. Training. Not in vain. So then you go to LA though to really like take this home though. Like you want to like do yeah. the deal. I wanted to do a deal and I couldn't get anywhere. Were you trying to get a record deal? I or were you trying, trying to get an to get acting deal? Pub- no, I didn't even try acting. So LA, <laughs> we're done with acting. We moved to LA. I tried a little bit for the acting and I just couldn't do it. I couldn't break in and, and I, my love was music. Okay. So I thought that's, that's good that I couldn't break into that. So let me, I visited Nashville because a friend of mine from high school lived here and I couldn't believe when I'd go to writer's nights and see these people just like me playing their new songs, and I'm like, it was just like home, and I knew I had to move here, and again, I mean, sometimes it's good not to know how hard things are, you'll never try it. So you got lucky right away? No, it was very hard. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was very hard, but it seemed like there was a community here, and there was. You meet really cool people who are struggling just like you are, and you you struggle together. together. Exactly, and your friends... You know, it's like you start doing well, and I want to bring so-and-so with me because they wrote that song, and that person liked, you got to meet. And so it's it's exactly, it's bringing, coming up with your friends. And when I got here, I thought, well, I got to write with those big, I got to write with Gary Burr. He was like king of Nashville when I moved here. And then you really thought that? Yeah. And, and now like, how do I get to him? And then there was no way because he You sure got own. to him. I sure did, didn't I? And now he's in my hair. You know? <laughs> You'd have to see the beginning of this interview to understand that. But um, no, but it's like, and then I found out, it's not about writing with people. Like, Yes, it's good to write with people better than you so that you grow and get better. But it's about finding people where you are. That you connect and with. And getting good. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like we're doing it together. These are the people we have access to, our buddies who are really good, like, you know, what we're doing. And coming up, and then suddenly you're on the same playing field as these people you really I've respect and admire. Like college, like grades, you know? Like it's kind of like a campus. Like you're a freshman exactly. class, sophomore, junior. And you really have to kind of like stick with your class <laughs> in the beginning. And you, really you wait your turn and you learn and you, you know, you just study from the people ahead of you. And, and you just trust that your turn will come. That's right. So you just have to trust that you will get your... Did, did you ever want to leave? Did you ever want to I like, always screw this? Leave. This is not going to work? <laughs> she, this morning, I stopped her at the door. She had her suitcase. I did. I was ready to walk out. No, wait a minute. Taking out of her backpack. Said, really? I think you should stay. You would leave all this and Bucky? Yeah, never. That's the thing. This, this town breaks your heart. It, you know, it's like you, you make headway, and you're like, oh, my God. And then it does something, and you're like, oh, nope, back to square one. And then you're like, nope, because something else happens. And then something wonderful happens. And like I your songs at the symphony. Yes, I couldn't have seen that happen in the Nashville Ballet. It was amazing. And and that's the thing about life. You just don't know. You kind of follow your muse. You follow what feels right. And you know. And even if you can't see it, you have a gut instinct. So I, I want to quit all the time, but I never do because I know something's going to happen. That's it's a like, leap of faith right there, though. It is. It, it is. I don't know what that But it thing... has to do with, with you don't ever think that there's a plan B. As long as you have right. a plan B, the first sign that isn't that something's not working out and you leave. is a huge sign. Yeah. When you don't have a plan B yeah. and it's this or nothing, when it looks like things aren't going to work out, you just kind of tell yourself, well, it's not like it can't work. It has to work out. Right. It has to work out because Good. I don't have any alternative, so I guess this must just be a little glitch. And there's also the letting go part, because for me, when things get so stressful, I go, that's it. Screw it. And then when I let go, that's when the next thing happens. So I don't know what that is. How do you well, let go? The next go? thing is usually you with your suitcase at the front door. <laughs> right, when I'm at the front door. <laughs> no, how do you let go? How do you let go? Because I have to remember it's about my life, not about 
what is expected of me or what other people, it's like people define their success by how much money can I make, how famous can I get. When I lose sight of that stuff, like when I start getting sucked into that kind of world, I forget about me. Yeah, and I forget about what feels right here, and that's how I let go. As I go, you know what? If nothing else in this music business happens for me, I still know how to write a song. I still can sing a song, and I can pick up that guitar, and I get back to that. And when I get back to that, I love it. Then I remember what's important, and then other things happen. Isn't that interesting? I mean, look at you. I mean, things just happen. When you're finally, like, walking in... I guess faith of some sort that you're just supposed to do this, like you're saying. You kind of yeah. have to just not have fear, which I mean, is for terrifying. Me, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well said. You know, yeah, not having fear is terrifying. Yeah. Like you're just walking, taking exactly steps, but you're right. kind of—it's just like a black wall that you're walking into, and mm-hmm. you pray that the sun you shines. You just have to. You have to trust your talent, trust yourself. I, I, the way I always feel is, you know, how you say uh, you you constantly get knocked back to square one, and I just keep reminding myself that. Our square one is like exactly. the coolest place to be. It's what a, a great cool place square. To be. What a cool square one to be in the music business in Nashville. Uh, you know, I'll take this. It'll, I never thought I'd get to square one. Knocking me back, that ain't that ain't. So and it's awful. never back to the square one you were twenty years ago. It's a new square one. Yeah. So it feels like oh, I got to start all over. But it's never that because. But you're you so forget much that you're not because you you're not a freshman anymore. You're well, not. Well, you have anymore. so much success under your belt. Huge so, amount of success. It's like frightening. <laughs> it's like you can't even count. Terrible. You don't even know all your hits. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You know. You know. This, like name your this, top ten hits. This Gary. leather chair. It's actually gold with leather covering. Name me, yours is how successful you are. Name me your top ten biggest hits right now. Uh, <laughs> you I, can't. I, you can't. I couldn't. I could name. I, yeah, Can I, I don't know any. You? I don't know any like figures and numbers and things like that. Other than me, the fact that when I go to the ATM and I need sixty bucks, it'll give me sixty bucks. <laughs> that makes me a happy man. I was driving in the car listening to um, Prime Country Satellite Radio mm-hmm. Sirius. And this song came on, and I, I went, oh, my God. I'd never. It was such a great, great song. I hadn't heard it. It was an old hit, but I didn't know it. And I pulled over, and I went, it, just the way it was constructed, I went, oh, i got to know who wrote that, and I want to write with that writer. I wanna, how do I find that? It was just so inspiring to me. I pulled my car over. I Wikipedia the song, and it was written by Gary Burr. And I went, are y'all married okay, at this point? Yeah. <laughs> and that's how many hits he's had. I you don't know, even know half of what he's done. And I was like, right with him, I sleep with that guy. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. You really, good. you really got it. Really, that's above yeah. and beyond. Yeah. That is, you know. The, I mean, that's like some serious co-writing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love it. So, Georgia, tell me the most important songs that you have written. Obviously, I'm in. Wow. was huge. That was for huge. Keith Urban. And Keith Urban is so gracious and sweet. And, and sexy. Very sexy. <laughs> I mean, he is. You know he is, Gary. Come on, say it. He doesn't do it for me. Really? Who does it for you, Ringo? <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, um, wow. Um, different songs. I have a song called Table 32 that I wrote that I was a waitress here in town at the Green Hills Grill. And it was a true story that happened. And I wrote it into a song, and that, what I like about that song is it's, it's kind of brutal, but it's true. What's and it about? It's about, a, it's about this couple that sit down, I'm the waitress singing the song, and, this, and I'm tired, and it's been a double, I worked a double shift, and this couple comes in, and he's a lot older than her. She's like in her 20s, he's in his 50s, and they sit down right when we're about to close the restaurant, I'm like, no, I was just about to get off work, and they sit down, and they're laughing, and I'm just, I'm being very judgmental, because... I wanted to go home, 
and they are laughing and having and they're ordering wine and and you know I was anyway I said having a rendezvous are we this is interesting and I was trying to be buddies with them I'm their waitress and I find out she says a rendezvous no this is my father and we just met at this table oh, that makes me cry it was my table and, and they could have sat them at any table and I was so annoyed that night and I'm like and that turned everything around. Oh my gosh, that like gave me full body chills. <laughs> it, and that's one of my favorite songs because it's... And people love that song. It, it, it's never been recorded, I don't think, except Well, it you. has for a few independent artists have yeah, had it, but, and I've but, had it. I mean, when she starts that song, when she plays out, people cheer. Well, they, and, and they don't know, they just think it's an older man song. with a younger woman having a date. And the whole song is written to paint the picture of something fish, something funny's going on here because he's wearing a wedding ring and she isn't. Oh. And so the whole song talks about it looks like an affair and they're just laughing and he's so much older and this waitress is just like, geez, guys, go get a room. And then she finds out she was completely wrong and it's like, what a it message. Was, it's a true story. Like, so don't I don't judge. That. Exactly. But the point is, it's the South. They were still sleeping together. <laughs> the... Stop it. <laughs> she was adopted, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it was okay? Yeah, yeah. That actually like brings me to another question. Do you guys feel like authentic stories and authentic songs are the best ones that you have? <laughs> Poo on authenticity. Yeah, really. <laughs> um, that that was lucky because it was true, and that hap- that happened. But a lot of times, somebody can if it's a, if a piece of that story was true, it's our job to make it the most interesting story it right. can be. So as long as some part of it is real, some part is true. Yeah, I think that's important. Yeah. What do you guys think about the Nashville system, which is like basically, okay, let's write a pop hit country song and let's try to get it cut on Carrie Underwood? And I don't have a problem with that. I, I don't mean, either. I, you know, when when McCartney and Lennon used to sit down, they used to sit down and go, let's write a pool. Let's write uh, a what does a, that mean? A pool. I'd like to buy a pool. Let's just write a great <laughs> hit song so that I can buy a pool. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, the people at the Brill Building, they. I want, let's write a song that the Shirelles are going to do because I have a baby on the way and we need some money. But also... What, when did it have to be more than that? Also, I need ear candy. You know, I love a great story or a great song or a great melody, but sometimes I need to not think. And mm-hmm. when I'm listening to the radio and I just hear some catchy song that's not it feels deep, good. it feels great. So there's different jobs for every there's song, a place. I think. And the the... the that's a good point. Different jobs for every song. Yeah, and the, and the little light, up-tempo radio songs, they're some of the hardest things to write. Actually, yeah, you're right. easy to write a great, memorable two-and-a-half-minute up-tempo song. That's true. Walking on yeah. Sunshine, that, uh, you try writing that song. That's hard. And it's so catchy, and everyone loves yeah. it. Yeah. That's, that is, that's always more lightning in a bottle than craft. A great writer can always sit down and write a five-minute, lots of verses, taking somebody from Kansas to Ottawa and all their adventures along the way. But somebody that's going to capture a Love Me Do in two and a half minutes, that's lightning that hit them, and that's rare. Because there are so many, like, ditties to have one that stands out Mm -hmm. like that is really hard. It had to have been well-written, you're right. Yeah, everybody thinks they can write a a two-and-a-half-minute radio song. Wrong. (laughs) Yeah, but... But only we can. Do y'all have... So everyone should stop. <laughs> stop trying. Yes. I'm thinking like the course of your songs have been all styles, right? Yeah. yeah. That's the beauty of Nashville. When they put you with different artists, you learn to... I mean, I grew up on country music, pop music, 
um, Broadway music, like all kinds of stuff. And that's, that makes you well-rounded in terms of your musical world. And so when you write with different people, you start finding this is a real R&B kind of act. They love this kind of thing. You can pull it out of your arsenal as a writer when you can adapt to different. And it makes for interesting songs. Even in the country music genre, you have R&B flavored stuff, rock stuff, yeah. pop stuff. That's cool to me. Yeah, if we had to just keep writing the same thing every day, Bored. it'd be awful. But, you yeah. know, you, you can go and you can write... Know, all different styles. It's it's that's that's what makes it fun. Okay, so you guys both have amazing voices. <laughs> Not only are you incredible songwriters and musicians, you'll also have amazing voices. Thanks. Did you guys ever think your big break in career would come as a married team? Like after you guys, because you had a record deal, right? Yeah. Long you had time a record ago. deal. Yeah. yeah. So like, did you guys think that y'all would have a record deal with? I mean, not a record. I don't know what you guys have with Kenny Loggins. Kenny Loggins. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of like just a surprise. Yeah. How, How did that, that happen? happen? <laughs> <laughs> How did the Kenny Loggins band happen with you three? It's called Blue Sky Writers. Because that's another, like, what? And we have our own record label. We're doing it as an indie band. So yeah. how did but that it, But it does have to do... He came to town to write with people. And writing with somebody doesn't necessarily mean that you're writing with somebody that can sing as well. And he wrote with a whole lot of people in town. But when he and I wrote together, every time we'd hit the chorus, we'd be singing together and he'd go, oh, it's, it's like the Everly Brothers. And it was a real treat because he was writing with other people that weren't singers, singers equal to their writing. Okay. And, and then he hit us and then he hit Georgia and he suddenly realized that, that it was more than just the writing. And then, boom, it was two parts, three parts. And uh, that's when he said... But it you started know, with the that's writing. That's when he called me. Yeah, it starts with the writing, but he was so pleasantly surprised that we all sounded so great singing together that that's what really worked for us is the fact that before we were writers, we were lead singers of, of bands. Yeah. And and harmony singers in bands. Yeah. And we've made our living sometimes singing harmonies on other people's albums. Mm -hmm. I still hear on the radio, I'll go, oh, that's me singing all the, harm that, all the backgrounds on that song. So the fact that we were singers, harmony singers... When Musicians, Kenny came to players, town, yeah. it was like, oh, we could do this one little package. And he called me up and said, I know this sounds silly, but let's make a record. And, and what did you say? What happened. Who is this? <laughs> Kenny who? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what I said. Kenny I said, Rogers? Yeah, who wouldn't do, who wouldn't Why make wouldn't a band you? with the gambler? And what's, <laughs> exactly. And what's cool about it is Kenny took the initiative to do it. I've written with people... And when you hear their voices and you're singing along because you're trying to learn, you're trying to figure out what the parts could be once the song is done and record how it's going to be recorded. And you hear these amazing voices, but nobody's pursuing a singing career. They're just writing songs for other people. For Kenny to go, hey, let's take this to the next level was really cool because I certainly didn't expect that. I was happy to just write with you guys. Mm -hmm. But because we all sounded so good together, suddenly somebody had the idea. Kenny did. Let's let's record and see what he that made a did. whole album. Yeah. And it's our, called our Finally second, Home? Is that yeah, second album, too. We just finished, we just finished second our second album. Yes. Why Not, that we just finished. And Why is it called Why Not? It's one of the songs on there. It's just a good, a optimistic, good you know, yeah. we, we kind of... We well, kind people of were like, like, why would you make a second record? Why would you do that? Why not? <laughs> yeah. Why would you? Good. Yeah. It feels right. We like the work, so we keep doing it. You know, I, Kenny was at a point where he was in town writing for the next record, but it was another, and this is, I'm kind of quoting him, so he would he would agree with this. It's another Kenny record, and he didn't know if he had anything to say for another yet another Kenny record. Okay, because he's had so a lot of albums. He's had a lot of albums, and that's when he kind of said, 
you know, if not that, what else? Well, that, you know, that thing with Gary and Georgia, that excited me. Maybe that's the way that I could get my artistic yayas out without having that weight on my shoulders of, now what are you going to say? Okay. So that's what he did. We yeah. helped him say two-thirds of what he wanted to say. So he, he the, was just I'm kind the of... the vowels, and he, she's the articles. <laughs> so maybe he wasn't, like, bored with himself, because he's Kenny that Loggins. Most, he's not really bored. I've ever heard you. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Shut up. Okay. Go ahead. Wait, you're the vowels? And you're the yeah, nouns. Exactly. And the articles, yeah. <laughs> Our articles, the these and the ands. And the he a's and very that. good. <laughs> Grammar. <laughs> So that's so it was kind of like he was needing a little jolt in his like yeah. creativity. Yeah. Because yeah. you kind of get stagnant yeah, maybe you with yourself know. after a while. Absolutely. And that's the fun thing of collaborating is you find people, you, you go through different people to see and you go, oh my God, that was electric with that person. Electric. Why not do it again? Electricity is the goal. In this town, you're always having that excitement and that spark, but there's so many people, so many things to do, so many Places so much to play stimulation. That, yeah. I mean, I've written great songs with people and had the best time. And it's a year before I ever get back around to them because we're all so busy doing things. And to have that, to have him on the phone, you know, saying, no, come on, let's really do this. You know, it's a first. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, you're like, yeah, that's going to happen. Like, it's not ever going to happen. Yeah. And then, boom, he, he was, is. like, really he adamant through. about it. And he followed through. Keith, uh, what's his name? Um, Urban? No. Keith um, Urban. Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. Oh. They were interviewing Keith Richards on some TV show. And they said, tell me about your collaboration with Mick. And he said, my job, I can't speak British. <laughs> my job is to turn Mick on. Like, I do things that make him go, ooh, let's try this. Uh-huh. And I think that's my job, too. When I enter a collaboration of any kind, my job is to bring something fun and cool Well, you and walk exciting. in, girl, and everyone's turned on. <laughs> I mean, you already got it going for yourself. You were going there, I was going there. <laughs> Somebody had to. So, I mean, you're starting off on the right foot. So musically turn on is what you're talking about. Exactly. Musically, yes, yes. For the most part. But I mean, if the other happens, you can't help it. It's what God gave you. It's what it is. It's the what it is. It's a what it is. So, do you guys go on a tour bus with Kenny Loggins? Mm -hmm. What is life living with him like? When we uh, yeah on a tour bus, we're all in our underwear and um. He wears like what kind of underwear is everyone wearing? That's we can't tell that. That's right. Are you wearing your thong running around the bus? No, but I am. <laughs> you are, Gary. I knew you. Not even mine. Thong. Hers. Oh, yeah. You guys are in some freaky shit. Yeah, we're freaky. No, you know what? It's it's just it's it's just really fun. We uh, you know they they route the tour and we'll be in Colorado going from town to town to town. Some days you wake up and you've got like a two hour ride and you're in the next place and you're hanging out all day and then sometimes. You know, you wake up and you go, oh, God, we're going to be on the bus for 11 hours. Everyone thinks oh. bus, like, riding the bus is so sexy. You know, like, it's so sexy. Like, there's so much, like, you know, back in the days, like, hooking up and drugs and alcohol and, like, flashy stuff. I was stuff. never in that. I missed out on a lot. Yeah, I think I guess I did, <laughs> too. So now it's just Gary and his thong. Yeah. <laughs> That's all we got. And a TV that freezes every time the movie starts getting good. So is it sexy on the road? Mm. No. All you can do is hope that when the bus stops, you're near a mall. That's the, the best thing I can hope for is that there's a place to eat in walking distance, right? Yeah, we have we have very low expectations. <laughs> you know, please give us a Ruby Tuesdays and mm, and, uh, and a Spencer's gifts. Oh, Spencer's. <laughs> Sorry, I was pulling. Uh, wow. I was 
reaching into the past. What are you, 100? <laughs> I like Spencer's. I got some good stuff. Nothing wrong. I got everything. A little of everything. A okay. <laughs> little of everything. You need a novelty t-shirt. You need an ashtray. So they still have Spencer's? It's yeah, dog. Oh, it's good. it's right. It's happening. So, Gary, I've heard you say this before, that you, okay, you guys probably write songs many days out of the week, and y'all have done this for years. Yeah. So, obviously, not every song you've written has been cut by an artist, which cut means recorded. So, you said you have all these orphan songs that are just, like, all these amazing songs that, at one point, a lot of them sparked electricity in you and you loved, but they just have no home. Right. What happens with those, and how does that make you feel? Well, the good thing is, is because I can sing or you can sing. If I have an orphan song like that and I really love it that much, it's my job to record it and go perform it and get audience feedback. And if I get enough, if, if certain songs, I try them out when I do solo shows and if certain songs resonate, that's what happened with Table 32. I was playing it out and I get emails that, oh, we know that song. They played on the radio in Ireland and London. I, I have no idea how they got their hands on it, but... It's like when you find what resonates, then it's my job to collect those songs and make a record. And it's my job to continue my passion. If no one else is going to buy it or record it, then it's my job to, if it's worth doing, if I love it that much, i got to get it out there. So you feel like you owe it to the song. I do. And not every song's worthy of that, but you find out. I mean, I, you know. Yeah, you play songs you're excited about and you play them. You get a great reaction, so you pull it out periodically or you get like... Try it two or three times and don't get the reaction. And you say to yourself, okay. I guess, you know, yeah. I, I wrote a song 15 years ago that I thought was a, a good piece of work. I thought it was, I thought it really was an important song for me to have written. And it just sat there. But was it called Love Does? No. Love no, it's, it's, it's a song called Younger. And I would play it. And every time I would play it, whoever I played it for would go crazy for it. And I played it in New York at a show with a, a, a writer, a friend of mine named Billy Mann, probably 10 years ago. And he loved it all. This is great. This is great. And I went my way. He went his way. He climbs in the business. I climb in the business. And he's a big wig. In the and business. a couple of, you know, like last year, he calls me up and says, uh, you know, I know that I don't own this song. I don't have anything to do with this song, but I love this song. So I pitched this song and Joe Cocker recorded the song. <clears throat> it's like on his okay. last album right before what? he died it's one of the last songs he wow. recorded wow because it just meant something to Billy he and wanted it meant that song to him right. and I wrote it 15 years ago and now it's on the last Joe Cocker record like this beautiful definitive version of it that I'm really proud of and now that is out there in the universe and who knows who will hear that exactly. it got a life the if you didn't perform it Billy wouldn't have heard it, and that's why yeah. it's our job to get things You're out right. there. It Nobody will job. hear it if we keep it in our closet. We have a giant right. closet full of this stuff, the way you know other people have sweaters. Every once in a while, you, you, you gotta, gotta shake ro them off, you rotate yeah, them, and bring right. them out, and, and try them out, and try them out. You know, because you never know; they're not cottage cheese. There's no expiration that's date. Right. And how crazy though that like that story, for instance, Billy. He's obviously so successful and. To be so non-competitive that he would he could pitch have his own song. That he would pitch yeah. a song yeah. of yours just because he believes in music so much. That's right. That's really special. That kind of community that's is really right. special. That's that like right. that Great. you believe yeah. in songs even if they're not yours. Yeah. That's really awesome. I mean, I don't care for any of his songs, but he did like <laughs> mine, and that <laughs> is what matters. Is really exactly. what matters. It just proves that his taste and my taste are, are equally good. So that story sounds magical, which. Makes me wonder, do you guys believe in magic? I do. 
I mean, I, I believe you have to prepare for the magic. I believe, you know, I met somebody recently who said, I really want to be a singer. I said, what are you doing about it? She goes, nothing. I just want to be discovered. I go, so what are you doing about it? She's like, well, nothing. And I'm like, okay, well, then you're not going to be discovered. You have to let people hear you. You have to write songs and get it out there for, for people to experience. Otherwise, you're not doing your job. Once you do that as a songwriter or performer, then magic happens. You attract it. But you have to put it out there. You have to do the you work. Have to. Yeah. I, I understand weird things happen, but it, it happens because somebody put it out there. If you hadn't played it that night, you wouldn't be sitting with a Joe Cocker record on that shelf right now. Right. You you just pulled it out. I mean, you have to prepare. So you for guys the magic. believe in putting yourself out there. Yeah, you have to. You I think is, you have to. You know, a lot of what you think and what from the outside looks like magic and lightning really. You know, yeah, it's lightning, but we spent years building the big metal pole. That's yeah. right. That's <laughs> yeah. exactly yeah. right. That's true. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, that's a hell of a way of putting it. Thank it you. is. It's genius. Are you a writer? I mean, you should be like in the Country Music Hall of Fame. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> the, the country I love phrase. that. Building the pole. That is, that's what we need to do. That's mm -hmm. exactly what we <laughs> Poles, I mean, thongs. Sure. Uh, it I all mean, comes back to that. You know, I, I see what the real <laughs> underlying tones are of yeah. this relationship. See where this is going? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> okay, anything else y'all need me to know? Like, tell me something crazy, just a wild story that someone would freak out if they heard. Really? That they freak wild. out? Or just I be super Yeah, she used to wait on me at the Green Hills We weren't Grill, dating. We didn't know each other. And I used, I used to, to always time. go there... Is that how y'all met? Originally, I used to go there and try to get seated in her uh, section where so she would you work. You had the hots for her because she time. was just like the cutest thing. And then I found out that she was like a writer and a singer in town. And I guess we had He's that. Like, we stay away so from we her. Would, we would, <laughs> you know, we would have that to talk about in common. And then she got a record deal, and they did hook her up to write with me. Remember when I said, I want, I, I don't know if I told you today when I said I, I was at my publishing office, I got my first deal and they said, who do you want to write with? And I said, Gary Burr. I want to write with Gary Burr. No, like, well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and then I got a record deal. So again, I was doing the work. I was writing the songs and I got a record deal and suddenly I'm in a position where he might want to write with me because he might get on my record yeah. if we write the right songs. So, that's that's building the pole to your and I wanted to write with Gary. I'm really all about this pole. You thing. love that pole. Yeah. I really do. <laughs> but how crazy though that you kind of had a vision board. Like you yeah, had your sights on Gary. Right. Who knows in terms of romance? Speaking, yeah. yeah. And so, like, then for was, years and years and years, every time I was single, she was, you know, I'd run into her and the first thing out of her mouth was always, Oh, I want you to see my new boyfriend. Yeah, look, yeah, yeah. I wanted uh, to see him. Look at this. But guy. I didn't know like, he was oh. interested. And a really cool thing happened. You know, I got out of a long-term relationship, and I ran into Gary at a party. And he said, how's it going? I said, oh, you know, with my boyfriend. I said, we broke up. And he said, really? And he said, what's wrong? And I said, I always left the window open. I was, I never could quite commit 100% to anybody I've been with because I have this open window, and I, I want to shut it one day. But he said, well, I, I, you will when you find the right person. And I Getting said, chills again. I hope so. And that was 10 years ago. I mean, that was. Did you guys write Open Window? No, great idea. You gotta write that. It's a great idea. Thanks. It's really good. I know. So there's your vision. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Mm -hmm. Thanks. I used to be a songwriter. I wrote. <laughs> with, I wrote with people like Gary Burr and Georgia Middleman when, once in my life. <laughs> that's really good. That's and, awesome. And he gave me great advice. And, and little did I know we were gonna date a few years after that. But. So how did you put the moves on? When did you guys know you loved each other? 
Um, one thing, I, you know what? I, I, I just, I got, I found myself single. I was out of a relationship and decided to be proactive about it. And you. I sent her a message saying, uh, you know, I'm not looking to write. I'm not looking to work. You're up front. I'm yeah, just, totally I want to take you out, you know. I want to take you out to dinner if you're if you're not seeing anybody and and I and said perfectly I am. you're seeing someone I was seeing somebody oh. and I went but I, I was like oh my god because were you excited oh my god I had a crush on him oh, forever come on. Who wouldn't be? but I didn't know he liked me I just knew I liked him so you immediately had to break up with your boyfriend well <laughs> I didn't break up with him but I emailed Karen and said where the where the hell were you were you six months ago when I was single and I was just flirting. But I couldn't believe, he, and then he and then he laid the big bomb. And the guys out there, if you like a girl who's unavailable, here's what you do. <laughs> what was the big bomb? He said, "Damn, I should have asked when you were waiting tables um, twenty years ago. I should have asked you then." And that meant he, he had liked his you eye for a long all that time. And I had for no twenty idea. years. I like her a long time. You guys have had like this love tension for twenty years, and then yeah. try dating a guy. It was a brand new relationship I was with. Try oh, you dating a guy up. with that in your head. And you loved it. Oh, okay. So you had a breakup. How long were you with him before you broke Two up? Two more weeks. And then you said, peace out. <laughs> you're like, Gary, I'm available. Well, did y'all make out? We dated for four weeks, me and this other guy. It's not like we were long-term or anything. When you guys got together, did y'all make out first night? The first night I got sick to my stomach. Because <laughs> you were nervous. I was so nervous. And he said, why are you sick? Why do you feel bad? And I said, because I'm afraid of what's coming next. And he said, you mean this. You mean never and kiss me. <laughs> That she threw up all over the counter. All over Gary, the counter. that was smooth. <laughs> and there you are together ever since. Pretty much inseparable, like uh, like, like, a, like a stripper on a pole. Yeah, <laughs> pole again, man. You guys are like the Beyonce and Jay Z of the national right? community. Right? Uh -huh. Not not that Beyonce and Jay Z. Beyonce Silverstein <laughs> and Jay Z Schwartzman. So yeah, yeah we're like them. We are yeah. just like them. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You guys are you are a power couple. It's a lot of fun. I mean, it's so fun. You know, at night we'll, you know, nothing on TV. Let's go downstairs, write a oh, song. Is that what y'all do? No, but yeah. it sounds good, it doesn't sounds it? Good. Doesn't this sound like we're professional? Yeah. Okay, well, this, you are professional. No, we do do that. We'll just, we'll be sitting upstairs and, hey, let's go run to the piano and write a song. It's a fun and life. We just did a duo album together. Yeah, we're Middleman Burr. We're a duo Middleman now. Middleman Burr. Yeah. We're doing tours and, and, and shows and things like that. So, so Middleman Burr, your Blue Sky Riders, your individually yeah. Georgia Middleman yeah, I mean, and Gary Burr. And we just did a show a couple months ago where we backed up Carol, Carol King. We're, we're her band when she yeah. was. Yeah, can you guys believe that? You're live? Yeah. And who are we going to back up coming up? Uh, Can't say. Yeah, okay. You oh, never know. There's someone on the horizon. Mm -hmm. Everyone be looking. Yeah. Can you guys believe that this is your life? Like, yeah. Is this what you dreamed it's it would crazy, be? right? You can truly say you love your life. Like you're living your oh, passion. Oh, terrific! Yeah, it's it's, it's couldn't, fun. Couldn't be Life should be fun. Everyone, so many people think you just have to wake up and get like a regular job, like an electrician. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but like you know, do a career path. But really, don't you think if you follow your passion, you can make a living in life? If you're good at it, at it. you I have know, to be. Some good. people, some people aren't. It's they that's don't have tricky. It. Yeah, and they can spend, I, I remember it killed me. I ran into a guy. He was in an audience, and he said, "How did you do this? How did you get to do this for a living?" And I. That's a big question. I don't know. We all have different paths. But he said, I've got this family. I can't do what I really want to do. And I'm like, ugh. He chose family, which is like the best choice you can make. And he's resentful. And oh. I'm like, oh. So if people are, are electricians or they do a, a day job, nine to five, 
there's nothing wrong with that if as long as they can exercise their passion. True. Sometimes the nine to five is a passion, but if it's not, as long as they have an outlet for the other stuff, it doesn't have to be the career. You have to have an outlet. It can just be fun as long as you have both. And and go downstairs. Because you had to write songs. It was was, in you. That was my out that was going to save me. You know, and uh, so you had to do it. Yeah, I had to do it. But you know, but But the kids were the kids were there and taken care of and loved and and secure. And and I just I knew that the way to make them very safe and secure is to work as hard as I could at at the lottery business. No one, you know, you don't win the lottery being an electrician. Yeah. You can win the lottery being a songwriter. And that's luckily what happened to me and I was able to do it full time and stay in the lottery business. My favorite movie in the world is Mr. Holland's Opus. Have you seen yes. it? Yes. He was just a music teacher, just a music teacher, and he affected all these kids and he really wanted to be a star and he wanted to get his music out to the masses and he never did and he felt like a failure. And then he sees these kids come back and show him what they did for their lives. And it's like... It's because he inspired them. He did. And he didn't think he was worth anything. But he... thats Those are the kind of stories that resonate with me as real people and yeah. not those stars. I like real stories. That's where life is. And yeah. when I was a waitress and that happened to me at Table 32 with that couple, I went... I'm supposed to be a waitress. Stop beating yourself up for not being in the music business. You've got incredible inspiration. Exactly. That's life. And if you don't have life, what good is music and writing songs? None of that matters. you got to experience life. And people forget that. And they think, i got to be a star. i got to be... No, you don't. Go experience life. And maybe you'll accidentally become a star because you're doing all the right things. Or not. And who cares if you don't? You're exercising your passion. Yeah, yeah it doesn't you get gotta do it. it. Even if it's not professionally, you gotta ex- got to. exercise your passion somewhere. You have to. Because if you don't, it will eat you alive. I agree with that. Yeah. So I like to end my podcast with a segment called Leave Your Light. So leave me inspiration. Oh, I like that. I want separate inspiration for both. Okay. Leave Your Light, is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> Can we think? Do you have one yet? Do I have one? Yeah, just some inspiration. Some inspiration that you have lived by or that's encouraged you or helped you or that... Oh, yeah. Um, yes, here's mine. I have a saying. Brian Andreas is an artist. He does these really cool sculpture drawings um, and paints them, and he puts these really cool sayings, and it's hanging in our bathroom. But it says, It's hardest to love the ordinary things, she said but we get lots of opportunities to practice. And for me, it's it's everyday life that people want bigger, they want more, more. And it's like when you can love your everyday life, that's the most you could ever get. And that feeds everything about your life. That feeds your creativity and your job. And it seeps that love of the little ordinary things feeds and makes a great life. And then, like you said, it brings opportunities it to does. you. It attracts wonderful things. That's I right. I love that. I love that, too. Okay, beat You're that. Be, top that, Gary Burr. Yeah. I can't top that. Yes, you have to. Come on. I have to? You ha- well, you have to add, at least accentuate. I have to ex- on. accentuate? Yeah. Well, do I you always, even know what that word means? Not really. <laughs> I don't know if I do either. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> with hair, something to do with hair color right there. Tell me. Accentuate. Um, Sounds good. You know, I always told my kids that if... You, you just try to be the best you can be at whatever you choose to be. And you can, you know, in a funny way, you can get away with murder. No matter what you do for a living, if you make yourself 
indispensable. And if you make yourself precious to someone, mm. then they, you know, they, they, you get cut a lot of slack. You, you get, when I was an electrician, I tried to be the best one I could be because when I would go to my boss and say, I need to go to New York City and do demos for my other job, he would let me gladly because I was valuable to him and I was, I was, uh, you know, he, re he respected how hard I worked when I w was there. And, and, uh, you know, that's what I tried to tell the kids is you, you just, you, you just try to be the, the best you can be because like Joe DiMaggio said, you know, he, he, they asked, somebody asked him, he was hurt and he was older. And you ask him why he, you know, ran so far to get a ball when he could have just let it bounce and let the other guy get it. And he said, you know, there could be some kid in the stands and this is his only time he's ever going to see me play and I want him to see me, I want him to remember me being, you know, great, great and, and trying. Wow. And, you know, so that's the attitude that I've always had. I, I try to write every song great because somebody out there made that may be the only song of mine they ever hear so you don't want to you don't cut corners or half-ass no i ne i never do and i never i think every song deserves maximum attention because there are songs that i didn't think you know when you finish a song sometimes you think oh this is amazing and sometimes sometimes i literally think well it's a song Mm-hmm. But I'm not the best judge because some of those songs that I thought, eh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's a song. Got recorded and ended up being a song that some family buried somebody to, and they've written me and told me my my, my father just died and we played such and such a song at his funeral, and I'm saying to myself, I didn't think that was all that great when I wrote it. But it meant something but to someone else. I didn't. Apparently, I didn't write it for me. You were just the vehicle that got mm -hmm. it out there. Yeah. So oh, I, I know love that's that. that's a whole bunch of different, you know. No, but you're a, basically that's a, saying. That's a whole bunch of candles, but put them together. And do whatever you're doing. Rocks. <laughs> do whatever you're doing. Do it 100%. Yeah. Because also you attract that in other people. You know, if I work as hard, if I see you working so hard, it's like, I got it. I want, it attracts that in other people. We all want to be mm -hmm. like that. That's so yeah. true. There you go. Okay. George Middleman and Gary Burr, everyone. Thank you, guys. Caroline, she's the queen of talking. Hey, what's on your mind? She's on the inside. She got the scoop on the ones to watch, on the ones that's hot. No one can do it quite like Caroline. I hope you loved hearing from Gary and Georgia. They are two of my most favorite people. I love them so much. I'm so glad they're on the show. <laughs> Y'all, next week, brace yourselves. Like, seriously, it is getting rowdy. I have the ladies of Nashville Glam. And not only are these ladies fabulous and fantastic in every way, they do some of the top celebrities hair and makeup in this town they do maddie and tay Jana kramer they do thomas rett and his gorgeous wife lauren they've also done hair and makeup for a thousand horses yes i know a thousand horses they have that fabulous hair y'all for their music videos and they are they've done kesha they're incredible and they <laughs> let it all fly they even sing in harmony and it's incredible 
Hey, that's my dog, Ruby. She's a part of the interview, too, next week. So she's saying hey. So y'all definitely want to tune in for National Glam. It is the women of National Glam. We have Taryn, Meg, Stephanie, Kristen, and Mari. And they are fantastic. So y'all make sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave us some comments. Hyper Caroline Hobby. See y'all next week. Bye.